Well, please join me now in 1 Peter chapter 2. We are continuing our series, Thriving in Exile, and today we're going to talk about our relationship to authority. Now, while we can rejoice that we're now, we hope, in the tail end of this pandemic, we can't say that we came through it without some scars. Coming through this pandemic was painful for us, much anxiety for us, much grief for us, Goodness, with 600,000 deaths in our country, many of us, probably most of us, know someone who died due to COVID-19. One of our church members among that number, Ken, we miss him, and you can pray for his wife, Rebecca, as she misses him. And so a lot of you, though, had lost loved ones, maybe not from COVID-19, but you had the difficulty of gathering for a funeral to give an appropriate farewell to someone that meant a lot to you, and, and there's just grief there. Beyond that, we had jobs that were impacted. I think so many people's mental health was negatively impacted because of what we went through, the isolation. And then you couple the isolation, maybe with an increased consumption of negative media coming inbound, really tough on people. Listen to this. According to one CDC report, which surveyed adults across the United States in late June 2020, so last June, 31% of respondents reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. 13% reported having started or increased substance substance use. 26% reported stress-related symptoms. And 11% reported having serious thoughts of suicide in the past 30 days. And they tell us that was up double from what they were experiencing prior to the pandemic. So I'm just telling you what you already know. It was rough. And in the midst of all that, We as Christians had to figure out how do we relate to government mandates that were coming toward us. Mandates related to attendance at church, related to masks, and related to social distancing. I love, even right now, here being able to speak in the past tense. This is what we went through in those days. But we know this, that Christians had a wide range of opinions on all of these matters. Because these mandates weren't even across the country or around the world. For example, in Lebanon, where we have dear friends, during the height of the pandemic there, you couldn't leave your apartment without permission from the government. So you need to go get groceries. At one point during one of the spikes in the COVID cases, you had to text the government. And if they said, yeah, you can go now, you could go to the supermarket. Can you imagine? In Europe, many of the churches were unable to meet at all for over a year. Of course, watching the news, we saw out in California, the pastors there, many of them felt like what was being asked of them was onerous, maybe being targeted as churches, maybe more so than some of the other businesses and some of the churches then pushed back. And I think some of the court cases backed some of these pastors. Then in Canada, watching the news, at least one pastor we know of who, who defied their mandates in their particular location, and he was taken out in handcuffs. Here's how we've approached that as Christians. We look at every one of these contexts as different. We respect our brothers and sisters, how they felt like with their particular circumstances, with the measures that they were facing, we trust that they made the good call where they were. But here in Virginia, as you know, we sought to obey the mandates that were given to us, assessing that we were not being singled out as churches, that we actually, as we saw it, we actually had a better, more favored treatment than the gyms, than the theaters, than the sports field. We actually could do quite a lot. But maybe you don't know this. We complied after speaking into these measures with the governor's office. We were a part of two different efforts to try to influence 
the mandates coming from the governor's office. So early on in the, in the month of May of last year, I was asked to sign on to a letter with 175 other pastors to let the governor know that we need to meet together. That our people need this. This is a part of what we do as believers. It's good for the commonwealth. And we are willing to follow reasonable health measures, but we need to gather. Think about the timeline. That's back when you were only allowed 10 people max in any type of gathering. And so 10 people, that was our live stream team and the pastors here. So we asked for that simultaneously to us signing on these pastors, writing to the governor, very respectfully letting him know what we felt like we needed. The SBC of Virginia, our good state partnership, they also had inroads to someone in the governor's office, made the same appeal. We'll follow reasonable health guidelines. Goodness, we love our neighbors. We love our church members, but we need to get together. And so thankfully, within a week, as I recall, uh, that, that mandate toward churches was relaxed dramatically. If you remember, we went from a 10-person max to really no limits for us here, just keeping the six-foot distance from each other, each household, and with some other health measures in place. And so for us, it was a blessing because nobody was ever turned away in the whole year. There was that season we were online only, then we started gathering, and there was never a time where we had more people wanting to show up in person than could show up. So we respected people who needed to stay home for their own health, for the people they were caring for. That was great. But anybody who wanted to be here for most of this pandemic, uh, man, they were here. Now today's text, the reason I bring all that up, you think, where is he going? I bring all that up because today's text is one of those texts that informed how we related to the authorities during this time. So let's look at it together. First Peter 2. Verses 13 through 17, hear the word of God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. No doubt, as Peter writes this, this is part of that honorable life that we're all called to as we live out our faith among unbelieving neighbors. Maybe you remember last time in verse 12. That's the springboard into this topic. Look at verse 12 again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So a significant part of the honorable walk, where to walk among unbelievers is how we relate to authority. And specifically, we're told to submit to authority. Three observations just as we get started on that. First observation is, is this. Notice your heart here. You see God's word say submit to authority. Maybe your heart's a bit like mine and you go, I don't like that. I don't like that. I wish it said don't submit to authority because our flesh is something like nobody gets to tell me what to do. Do you have that in you? I don't, I don't want to be told to submit to somebody other than me. So see that in yourself. It's not just you. We have this part of our sin nature. Notice that. But then notice this. This is the purpose of government. It's given to us right here. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So when a government's functioning as it should in the sight of God, then it's punishing evildoers and it's rewarding those doing right. Now, sadly, we know that oftentimes governments get it perverted and they begin to punish those who are doing good and reward those who are doing evil. But this is how a government is supposed to work. 
But then notice this, God's expectation that his children on the earth are going to honor authority. It's our responsibility under God, and he said, for the Lord's sake, that you're going to obey government in every, every legitimate authority in your life. So consider this. Here we are, exiles on the earth, the, the elect exiles of God. We're just passing through. We're a part of a higher kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a better kingdom. We've been seeing that throughout First Peter. And yet, during our temporary stay on the earth, we are to follow and submit to the governing authorities, even the secular authorities. See it again, verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Verse 15 says, this is the will of God. Verse 15 also says, these are part of the good deeds we're to do in the eyes of unbelievers. Verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then verse 16 again, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as the servants of God. So understand this clearly. We are to be people who are inclined to submit to appropriate authority in our lives. That Christians are not the rebels on the earth. Neither are we anarchists. So nobody can legitimately say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm heading to a rally outside and I'll be throwing rocks this afternoon at something. It's not, that's not us. The Bible takes that off the table. We're not people who can light fires or loot or abuse police officers. That's not us, not the disciple. You have no biblical cover for anything like that. That's incompatible with the walk we're supposed to live in the eyes of unbelievers that we want to lead to Christ. We're to be those who are doing good to the glory of God on the earth. We're to be those who are honoring people around us. We'll talk about that in a moment. So we've got a lot more to talk about, but two points of application here. We are to be inclined towards submission to rightful authorities. It's in the realm of government. Next week, we're going to see in verses 18 through 20, even in the realm of employment, then we're going to talk about, even in the realm of church, rather, we see this elsewhere in Scripture, places like Hebrews 13, 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. But even in the home, we know that God has set up an authority structure in the home. We'll see that when we get to 1 Peter chapter 3 in a couple of weeks. So this is the consistent teaching of God in his word. God is the one who has instituted order on the earth. It does not please God to see anarchy and disorder on his earth. In all kinds of places, really everywhere we turn, God is pleased with order. Even when we come to that thrilling teaching that we talked about a little time ago about the priesthood of the believer, that each of us through Christ gets to go directly to God, that doesn't mean there's no authority structure even in the spiritual realm. But then the question comes, what about ungodly leaders? What's my response to a believer who's not, a, a leader who's not a believer? Well, we remember the context here. Peter is writing, and at the time of writing, Nero actually is already the emperor. Nero's going to ramp up intense, brutal persecution against Christians in AD 54. It's about to get rough. Rome's going to burn. He's going to blame the Christians and all that's going to happen. But, but Nero actually is already on the throne at this time. And the Holy Spirit knows all that. And he's inspiring Peter to write these truths. So Nero, you have a despicable leader in, in, on the throne. And nevertheless, we are to be those who are inclined to obey the authority so far as we can. So, so just application for ourselves, we're going to obey even unbelieving authorities. We're going to obey even laws that we don't necessarily like at times. So let's talk about some laws we don't like 
I think we can find agreement here. Uh, speed limits. How many of you found speed limits that you just love? Now, sometimes you do. Like, I, people need to slow down. I've got kids there. So if you have children in an area, you're like, I want people to slow down. But oftentimes you're like, this is crazy. Why are they making us drive so slowly? I can get there so much faster. Or how about this? You feel like the traffic laws don't apply to you. I'm too important. Other people should follow those laws, but I'm, I'm more important than that. But no, our heart is, no, I'm inclined to obey these, even if I disagree on that particular traffic law. How about this one? Building codes. So... We had uh, worship at 8 o'clock in the other building over there, and it was just a chance to, to use that again and worship. It's so nice. And, uh, but when we went through the process of building that building, there were building codes that the county of Henrico demanded that we follow. And so we would go meet with the county with all those plans on the table, and they would tell us we had to follow certain codes. Uh, one of them came, comes to mind is they made us have a grease trap in our commercial kitchen over there. Now, we told them we're not planning to fry anything here. You know, we're going to bring in fried chicken. We're not going to fry. And I think they knew we were Baptists, though, and thought, you're going to fry. We, we don't believe you're going to fry something at some point in your future. So, so we didn't fight it. We put in a grease trap that we might have never use. You know, it costs more money to build this building. It's part of code for a building like this. Another thing that you'll probably never see, but expensive filteras under the parking over here to, to manage the runoff of the water. And so, I mean, that's not a fun way to spend money, but it's code. So we didn't think of ways to cheat the system. Hey, let's, let's don't tell them what we're doing. We're going to cheat the codes. Neither did we pound the tables over there at the county headquarters and say, this is, this is against our religion. Separation of church and state, we don't have to follow your man-made codes. We, we couldn't legitimately do such a thing like that. By the way, the code's really for our good, uh, the, the smoke detecting system. It's quite impressive. When we test it around here, there's a woman's voice that comes out over the speakers telling you to exit the building very politely. If you ever hear it, obey that too. We, we got to get out of here. All right, how about this one? How about taxes? None of us want to pay taxes. Surely here we are people, the chosen people of God temporarily on the earth. We are citizens of a higher kingdom. Surely we have no business giving any money to the government. But Jesus himself addressed this. Remember that famous occasion where Jesus said, bring me one of the coins whose likeness and whose inscriptions on it. And they said Caesar's. And then Jesus famously said this, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. So we don't like paying taxes, but that's part of our submission to authority. Now, the parallel passage to what Peter's giving us here in 1 Peter 2 is Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. So the apostle Paul also inspired by the spirit to say the exact same thing to the Romans. And he's going to talk about taxes here. So hang on for that. But listen to this. This is also important for you to know here. How do I relate to authority? Uh, Romans 13, also very helpful. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one, who must, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also... Pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. 
Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So we're just talking about God calls us as his children to submit to authority, that we have to have, to have hearts that are inclined towards submission, unless, unless, unless we are being told that we must sin against God. Now, we know this in some countries, the governments actually have outlawed Christianity. You can be something else, whatever the majority religion is there, you can be that, but you cannot be a Christian. There are actual anti-conversion laws in different nations. So if you're a Hindu, you have to stay a Hindu for life. You're a Muslim, you've heard about Christ, you can't, you can't become a Christian, there's a law. What do you do? Or how about the countries, many of them, that say, we won't allow a Christian missionary in here. We won't allow the Christian gospel here. What do we do? Because we have a Savior who said, you're going to take the gospel to every nation. So there's an occasion where we hear the law. We would be inclined to obey the law. But now they've asked something we cannot do because we must take the gospel to all nations. So we're not going to necessarily announce at the border, well, I'm coming anyway with the gospel. Now, by the way, the word missionary isn't in the Bible. We see missions in the Bible, but that word's not there. So we don't have to label ourselves with that word to be truthful. But we are Christians, and everywhere a Christian goes, he takes this good news of Jesus Christ. So when we come to a country that won't allow missionaries, we still want to go. We'll go as a believer. We'll go in some other job that is acceptable there. And while living there, we'll seek to point people to Jesus Christ and plant churches and everything that a missionary would do if they could be called such a thing. Because we must obey the Lord. When I was a new Christian, somebody turned me on to the book by Brother Andrew, God Smuggler. Anybody read that book from a long time ago? If you can find it, it's a fun read. Basically, the premise of that book was it was the story of Brother Andrew who would smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union, rightly called the evil empire, outlawed Bibles, made it very difficult for people to have Bibles, controlled churches, the ones that they allowed, but Brother Andrew and other Christians would then hide Bibles and luggage and other ways to get the word of God to people who desperately needed it. And it was all the harrowing tales and how God would actually blind the eyes, it seemed, of those authorities so that these Bibles would make it through. Just very exciting. But that's the idea. I hear what the government's saying, but now you've asked something I can't do. I'm inclined to obey you, but this I can't do. And so we're going to have to follow God, not you. But understand this, we, we invoke this exception, not just when we feel like it. We don't get to say, well, I don't obey because I don't like the party that's in charge right now. We can't do that. The scripture takes that off. Remember, Nero is the emperor when Peter's writing this. We can't say, well, I don't, I don't like that particular party. I don't like that particular candidate that won. And so therefore, I'm not going to follow. In fact, you can't legitimately say as a Christian, he's not my president. Or he's not my governor. I, I understand the emotions. I understand all that. But we can't because the scripture is saying something different here to us. Again, we're submitting to, to God's authority. We, we don't just obey when we like the laws. Now, here's the good news. In, in our form of government here, unthinkable to Peter's readers in the first century in the Roman Empire. But we actually can try to influence what we see as illogical laws or actually bad laws. So we can enter into the political system in our democracy and, and do what we can to change things that we feel like are unjust. In fact, one of the thoughts I've had as I've preached now at 8 o'clock, now 9.30, and you all, that God would actually put it on the heart of some of you to actually get involved in politics, maybe run for office. Then we'd all have to stop complaining about politicians because 
some of you would be them. So maybe running for a school board or maybe getting on the board of supervisors or maybe running for governor someday. And maybe some of you young folks, it's going to take a while. You got to get your education and go through the system and accomplish some things that you could be elected. But wouldn't that be great? Because we do have that ability to try to influence things for righteousness here. But we obey, but there are times when we cannot obey the authorities. Let me give you some examples from the scripture here. Do you remember the occasion when the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt and the order was given to kill all the Hebrew boys because Pharaoh didn't want this, this group of slaves to get any larger. He was threatened by that. Aren't you glad that the midwives disobeyed Pharaoh? Exodus 1:17. but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. That's courageous what they did. Or how about this? In Babylon, in exile, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ordered, along with everybody else, to bow down to the golden statue, massive golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up, and they said, can't do it. Think about it. They served in his administration in some ways. Obviously, they were trying to find ways to get along and do right, but, but now this one I cannot do. Now I can't obey. Here's how the scripture records this. Daniel 3, verses 13 and following. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will be able to deliver you out of my hands? I love this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And they paid a price for that. They defied the king and just as promised, they were thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. But aren't we glad God delivered them from that? We're told that there was not even the smell of smoke on their clothes. God miraculously preserved them, but they stood strong. Or how about Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, when they passed a law that he couldn't pray to God for 30 days, a law that was really aimed at catching him in something. And here's what he did. Daniel 6.10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Law came that you can't pray to God. He didn't start doing it then to stick it to the government. He always did this. And so he just continued to do it because the law was, was ungodly. He couldn't follow that. Of course, he paid a price. He was thrown into a den of lions as he was warned. And once again, we're so grateful. God gave a miraculous deliverance for him. But then just a couple other quick examples of the times when though we're inclined to obey. There are times when we can't obey the government in the book of Acts. When the apostles, including Peter himself, who's writing this to us, Peter also had to defy authority. This is Acts 4, 18 and following. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And then this one, Acts 5, 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So we're inclined to obey, but we could be asked some things that we cannot do and we'll have to defy. But we've been given these great models here at the scripture. But even when we must defy the authorities because they've asked something too much of us, we even do that respectfully. We even handle that with honor. We're not antagonistic people. We're not to be known as rebellious people. So that when we defy in these matters, they go, oh, they're always difficult. They should know us as great citizens who are following the laws of the land so that it should be very noteworthy to them that, okay, wait a minute, they, they have bucked here. This is where they can't go any farther. I think one good example that I've seen is Tanner Cross up in Loudoun County. If you've been following some of the news there with the school board, uh, again, I haven't seen everything Tanner Cross has done, so I could be wrong. But the things I've seen him say, he's the teacher who spoke respectfully to the school board where he said, I, I can't do what you're telling us to do that I love all my students, but I could never lie to them and say things that you're saying I have to say. I, I can't do that. And I think it's abusive to children to do what you're telling me to do. Just speaking his conscience. He called himself a Christian. I thought he handled himself quite well. And in the one or two of the other interviews I saw after the fact, he seems to continue to carry himself really where, well where you're thinking, I think that's the way you do this. Not difficult, not belligerent, not, not in a way that blows your testimony, but in a way, I think he's handling well. Pray for him and others trying to take that stand. So what are we seeing? We're to be, be submissive to authorities. Secondly, we're to honor everyone. Honor everyone, but fear God only. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So yes, we are to honor the emperor, but in reality... We're to give honor to everyone. So just think about your relationships right now in your life. And is it true of you that you live in such a way that you're giving honor in every relationship that you have in your life? Maybe the better question is, the other people in your life, would they say of you, I, I feel honored in every interaction with him or with her? Would they be able to say that? Or are there people in your life, no, I feel quite demeaned. By, by this one. I, I feel not honored a lot of the time. Now see the hierarchy here in our passage. Only one we're told to fear. We're told to fear God. So as we see these words, we recognize God is put in a class by himself. We relate to God very differently than everybody else. Notice, notably, we don't fear the emperor here. God alone is the one that we fear. But then we're told this, to love the brotherhood. So second here in this hierarchy, we're fearing God but we are loving the brotherhood. In fact, it reminds us of what we saw back in chapter one, verse 22. Do you remember this? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So fear God only, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then what's next? Honor everybody. So everybody should be getting something really wonderful from, from you as a Christian. Wherever you go, everybody's feeling, well, that was pleasant. That, that guy, that lady giving honor, this, this is nice. And included in everyone is the emperor. 
where we're going to give honor here. Listen, I think that has a bearing on our mouths, doesn't it? So we can't be the people in our political discourse, even when we're rightly upset about some of the laws and some of the proposed laws, we're, we're alarmed by some things, but we can't be the people who stoop then to not giving honor even while we disagree. So, so we're not the people who can type it or say it. Hey, it guy's an idiot. It's not, that's not how we talk. That's the equivalent of calling somebody a fool, which Jesus took off the table in any conversation. So we can't contend for truth in an ungodly way. We're to honor everyone. I like what Wayne Grudem says here about this passage. He says, while positively affirming the obligation to honor the emperor, he also subtly implies that contrary to the claims of Roman emperors to be divine, the emperor was by no means equal to God or worthy of the fear due to God alone. Christians have obligations to the state, but their obligations to God and to the brotherhood of believers are higher. So we're submitting to authority so far as we can. We're to honor everybody. And then this, we're to maintain an evangelistic consciousness. In all this, we're to maintain an evangelistic consciousness. So we're to live out our lives always aware that an unbelieving world is watching us. Think about what the world must hear from us as Christians. We, we make in their ears some pretty audacious claims. We're, we're saying it with all humility, but we're saying we've been saved. We've been born again. We're the children of God through faith in Jesus. We're the chosen people of God through Jesus. Again, we, we understand that's all grace that he would do that. We, we tell the world around us that we're, we're aspiring to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. A watching world hears us say things like, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. They hear all this. And so when they look at our lives, it's no, it's no wonder that they're looking, there needs to be some harmony between what they're saying and how they act. Our attitude should be so different from what they're getting among the places they go and where they work and who they hang with. When they come upon a believer, if all these things are true of us, and they are, there should be a corresponding lifestyle and attitude that they recognize, all right, that, that's very different. We need to be aware of that because any incongruence there uh, could be really undercutting our, our, gospel, our gospel intentions. Sometimes I'll watch people online, maybe, maybe YouTube, they'll show you, or maybe a news story. That they like to show you this when somebody flips out in a grocery store. So during the pandemic, and I get it, we we're all annoyed by the mask, but some people would go to the grocery store and just kind of make a stand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off my mask and dare somebody to escort me out of here. To what end? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, how is that helpful to the gospel? You're just like a deranged, unhinged person who can't wear a mask for a few minutes like everybody else. There's a gospel implication. It's a terrible testimony if somebody would do that. Sometimes you watch these town halls, and I complimented Tanner Cross. I love how he did it. Others also spoke so well as believers in Christ. I just can't give you what you're asking. How, how awesome. But then some people will get belligerent, will get demeaning. And I get the emotions. We don't, I don't always get it right either. But, but we want to have this as our goal. I want to speak the truth in love. That's what I'm aiming for. In every encounter, even when grieved, even when disappointed, even when scared, what we're aiming for, with God's help, I want to speak the truth in love. And in every encounter, even when I strongly disagree, may God help us to honor the emperor, even while in our context holding the emperor accountable for things that we think are dangerous decisions or bad decisions. So we, we have to stay within these guardrails here. Again, hear the evangelistic concern here in this teaching. Verse 12 again, hear these words. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you hear that? 
Same idea, verse 15 in our text today. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's Peter writing as the Spirit guided him. But the Apostle Paul, same, same thing. He had an evangelistic gospel concern in every relationship. Even showed up in what foods he would and would not eat. This is how careful he was not to bring an offense to people he's trying to bring the gospel to. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and following. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in, all, in its blessings. So think of it. We must handle everything with a gospel sharing perspective. That means how you handle yourself in the political arena that, that matters for the sake of the gospel. How you handle yourself in your homeowners association, that matters for the sake of the gospel that you hope to share. How you handle yourself in your place of employment or in whatever school you go to, that matters for your gospel testimony. And how you relate to authority in your own home, it matters. It's all evangelistic. Do you see it? That you're either adorning the gospel with a life that's in harmony with what God's called us to, or you're a distraction to the gospel by living contrary to what we've been given here. Now, I have many wonderful memories of our homeless ministry. You know, some, some uh, over a year ago, we had to shift to, several years ago, we had to shift to more of a small Bible study among the homeless because of changes in Monroe Park. And actually, something very beautiful, the team from our church that just loved them week after week in a Bible study, loved that. But do you remember before that, we used to have that monthly big feeding at the park, a hot meal oftentimes once a month at the park and, and Bible teaching there and giving out clothes. Remember that? And so I remember one of, those, one of those Saturdays, you all are there at the line feeding people, loving people, but I was looking for some people on the fringes and I found some backpacker types. You, you know what I'm talking about, these young people just kind of drifting across America and there they are in the park and I sidled up to them and began a spiritual conversation. And predictably, they were very cynical against Christianity and it was so entertaining though as they tried to bash Christianity but then had to stop themselves. So, so I'm facing them. They're looking over my shoulder at some of you serving the homeless. And they say, Christians just don't care. Well, not you. Not you. Yeah. And then they tried again. They backed up and talked a little bit more, but still wanted to lash out at Christians. But Christians don't care. They don't ever do. Well, not you. <laughs> You're here. Such a beautiful example of that. Silencing the talk of foolish people when they see the love and they see us shining for Christ. Oh, may we be people like that on the earth. Well, Christian, I pray that you'll hear this teaching. Again, our flesh does, mine too, reacts against this, the whole idea of submitting. But here we are, part of our testimony. It pleases God in the order he set up that we're inclined to do this. But in these days, may God give us wisdom where you work, how you live, and, and what may be coming in the culture to get it right in those moments. All right, this is that moment where I'm going to actually have to defy. And we have great biblical examples of that. May God help us to get that right in those moments. And let's pray for each other for wisdom in all of our places. But maybe you're here and maybe you would describe yourself as a seeker. 
not all the way in for Jesus yet, but you're a seeker. And maybe you're finding your flesh, you resist the same thing that we also admitted. You don't like authority. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. Can I tell you the wisest move you can do is submit to this authority, to the God who made you, to the God who loves you, to the God who's the best leader you can imagine, much better leader for your life than, than you would be of your own. And so would you today bow the knee to Jesus Christ? Why Jesus? Because Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I have never done. He came to this earth on a rescue mission, lived perfectly, then died on a cross in payment for all of our sin and all of our rebellion. Jesus died for that. And on the third day, catch this, he was raised back to life again, declaring that he is indeed the savior. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He's the one that can take you through this life and into the life to come in the paradise of God. Would you, would you today bow the knee, gladly take Jesus as your savior? But taking him as Savior means you're also taking him as the new leader of your life. Would you, would you trust him today? Let's pray together.